Happy Sabbath. So happy to be um, having Sabbath school with all of you here. We're so excited again to see so many students out this morning. This is going to be a very special Sabbath school. Would you just bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come here to this campus, Lord, and to just um, minister here with your young people, Lord. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here with us as we um, have Sabbath school this morning, Lord. We know that uh, this will be a rich blessing to each and every person here. So we just thank you ahead of time for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you, like me, were born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Most of you. Most of you. You know, I'm fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist, and I married a pastor, and I'm a pastor's wife. But to be honest with you, I sometimes, on some of our topics, could not explain all of the things that we believe as Seventh-day Adventists all on my own. And one prayer meeting, we were at our church, and we were reading a book called Last Day Events. How many of you have heard of that book, Last Day Events? There's a chapter in there called The Devotional Life of the Remnant, meaning those who will be living right before Jesus comes. And there's something in there that really struck me. She was talking about um, when we'll be um, put on trial for our faith, and she says that we will have to be able to defend our truths all by ourselves. We may not even have the word of God right there in our hands. And that really just struck me in a different way. I mean, I knew about that, but when I read it that night, it was just like God was speaking to my heart and was saying, you know what, you really need to really know. I know what I believe and I believe in it, but you need to be able to teach it and you need to be able to defend it all on your own without the help of your husband and with not even a Bible in your hand. And as we, I started talking to my husband about this and I thought, you know what, we were just had already had several army Bible camps and we thought, you know, it would be really, really neat if we um, put this into our Sabbath school time at army. And, you know, you come to these type of uh, meetings, and we have Sabbath school, and you see chairs up there, and usually the speakers come, they sit down, and you get to ask them a whole lot of questions, right? Right? Well, this morning, that's not going to be the case. We are going to put on a mock trial for you. So we are going to have a judge, we have prosecutors, we even have a bailiff to make sure that you stay in line. And you have to defend your faith. You're on trial this morning. So the prosecutors are going to ask you questions that are doctrinal in nature, and you have to defend why you believe what you believe as a seven-day Adventist, and you can only go by the word of God, and you have to use scripture. You can't just say an opinion of what you heard your mother and father say. So you have to be able to defend your faith. I want to share this quote with you. This is what really touched me that night. She says, the servants of Christ are to prepare no set speech to present when brought into trial for their faith. Their preparation is to be made day by day and treasuring up in their hearts the precious truths of God's word and feeding upon the teachings of Christ and through prayer strengthening their faith 
Then, when brought into trial, the Holy Spirit will bring into their remembrance the very truths that will reach the heart of those who shall come to hear. God will flash the knowledge obtained by diligent searching of the scriptures into their memory at the very time when it is needed. So at this time, we're going to start our program. All rise. The Superior Court of the State of Tennessee, County of Hamilton, is now in session. The Honorable Judge Alistair Huang presides. Good morning, Judge Huang. Good morning, Judge. Please be seated. works. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the court. The court is seated. The books are about to be opened. The judgment is set. I will say that normally in the court system in the United States, you are innocent until proven guilty, but not so here. There is very little if any mercy, it depends on uh, your prosecutor today. But the accusers of the brethren here are going to challenge you, and we want to make sure that you are not helped by those in the audience. So make sure, those of you out there, we are not going to allow you to interfere with this uh, mock trial. So shall we get started, gentlemen? First prosecutor, Myers, take the stand, please. Okay. Um, so, I understand that um, you, Seventh day Adventists, uh, are quite big on the fact that uh, we're to keep the Sabbath. Is that correct? Uh, I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts, chapter 20 and verse 7. The Bible here clearly states... And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. It is a known fact that the early church did not gather together on the seventh day of the week, but they gathered together on the first day of the week. In the light of such scriptural biblical evidence, why do you persist on keeping the Sabbath? Can you explain this verse to me without any help from the audience? We have a volunteer to defend her faith. Please take the stand. Witness number one. Please come up here, please. <clears throat> please state your name for the court. Uh, my name is Lauren, and uh, in Acts, 
Paul is actually talking about how after Sabbath, um, on technically Saturday night, because if you look, it went on till midnight, which would be the end of the, well, the beginning of the first day, um, he had been preaching on the Sabbath um, beforehand, and it just moved into uh, the first day of the week. Technically, um, if you're worshiping on Sunday, it would actually be past midnight, but it says that he preached till midnight and then moved on his way. So technically, it wasn't really, it was the first day, but it wasn't the whole first day. And uh, he had just got done preaching the whole Sabbath. So in Acts, that's how that works. <laughs> so, well, it is. I mean, it's true. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't a Sunday uh, sunrise worship service. It was, he had just got done with Sabbath, and now he was um, just trying to keep going with his, uh, with his teachings. He wasn't, okay, he wasn't keeping a service. So. Thank you. Thank you, defendant. Does that answer satisfy the prosecution? Um, I'm scared too. I'm going to sit down. You did good. You did good. Okay, defendant number one, you may be seated. It's okay. Defendant number one. Okay, Prosecutor Chung, please step up to the stand, please, and present your question. You Seventh-day Adventists have an interesting concept called the seal of God and the 144,000. But my Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 2 to 4, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them that were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. My Bible says that the 144,000, those are sealed with the seal of God, are the children of Israel. But you, Seventh-day Adventists, say that people of every nationality are sealed with the seal of God. But how many of you are little Israelites? Answer that question, please. Okay, we have a couple of volunteers, gentlemen with the glasses there. You may take the witness stand. And may I remind you that you must answer your questions from the scriptures with no help. Yes. No help from your friends from the peanut gallery. Please state your name for the court, please. Hello, my name is Amir Davis. Um, we can go to the passage together. <clears throat> Revelation 7. It's referring to 144,000, as you're mentioning, and the seal of God here is placed on them. When you study the passage, you'll notice that there is a theme that happens not only in this chapter, but in the previous chapter and the chapter before that. And this is a theme of John seeing something. Excuse me. He's hearing it first, and then he turns to look and sees it. This goes back to Revelation 1, 
where he is hearing a voice saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. But then, after he's speaking, continuing saying, write in a book everything you see, he says, I turn to see who is speaking to me. And then he sees this image in verse 13. In Revelation chapter 5, he hears... Excuse me, Revelation chapter 4. He hears one thing, and then he sees the throne of God. He hears a voice calling him to come up, and he's taken up, and then he sees the throne of God. Revelation 6. Mentions. Can you go straight to the point, sir? Okay, well, I'll. He hears the voice of a lion, and he turns and he sees a lamb. So he sees, he hears something, then he sees something. Revelation 7 follows that same pattern of he, seeing, hearing and seeing. He hears the number of the 144,000, but then as you continue, you'll notice that he turns and sees. And what he sees is, in verse 9, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So he sees, he hears this number, 144,000. Okay, this is what I hear. And then I see a great multitude from everywhere. In the same way that he heard the voice and he saw Jesus. And so... Okay. This is telling us that these people are from every tribe and nation. Okay, thank you very much, witness. We, we got your point there. Does that satisfy the prosecution? Yes, it does. It does. Okay. You could also go to Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. He that is Jew is inwardly the heart of the Spirit. Galatians 3, 28, 29. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Or by inference, you could go to Revelation 22, 16, where... Jesus is described as the root and branch of David, the bright and morning star. David was the king of who? Israel. And by Christ being king, you are acknowledging Christ as your king. You are spiritual Israel. So our nationality is spiritual Israel. Okay. Thank you. That was a good answer. Thank you very much. Next prosecutor, Prosecutor Andre Waller, please take the stand. And present your case. <laughs> your Honor, uh, it has come to us that the Advent people are legalist and they are hindering the united world movement of love. They have an interesting doctrine or teaching in regards to judgment. And their teaching in regards to judgment is anti-gospel and destroys the assurance of salvation. I ask that you throw them in jail immediately, sir. So could you clarify your question? Sure. <laughs> it's very simple. Your teaching in regards to the judgment in heaven taking place now is anti-gospel and destroys the gospel. So I would like them to clarify how this judgment is part of the gospel. 
Okay, is that question clear to the members of the court? Not clear. Could you refine that just a wee bit more? So you teach that God began a judgment in heaven in 1844, and it strikes fear even in your own Seventh-day Adventist young people. How is that judgment a part of the gospel? Okay, I think that's a little bit clearer. We have a hand. Is that, is that Eric? Okay. Brother Eric Kelly, please take the stand. Okay, just to reiterate the question, is that the concept of judgment is against the gospel, correct? The judgment beginning in 1844 is against the gospel, yes, sir. In 1844, just judgment, uh, period. You can take your best shot of whatever you want to do, sir. You have two minutes. Okay. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, actually in the Old Testament, we see the concept of judgment. Um, and it's actually in a way to help people see their need. In Genesis chapter 3... Um, it says in, after the fall, after, after Eve was uh, tempted to take the fruit, and then Adam sinned in eating of the fruit himself, it says in uh, verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened. And, that, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So they, sin had destroyed the connection that man had with God. There was a separation. And now they're afraid of God before they would... They would commune with him, but now they're afraid and they run from him. You have 30 seconds. Okay. And it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? Here is seen uh, an investigative judgment. God is, is asking Adam, Where are you? What's going on here? God knew, but he needed Adam to see his need. Jesus said uh, in one of the Gospels, they that, are, they that are not sick do not need a physician, but they that are sick need a physician. So this concept of judgment is so that we can see our need and see our need of a Savior. Okay, does that answer satisfy the prosecution? No, because I, I, what I understand about how Adventists teach is that the law is what you use in regards to seeing what your condition is. Judgment includes a bit more than just those four, I mean, those Ten Commandments there. So I, no, it doesn't answer my question thoroughly. It, it seems like you're getting somewhere, but you might need more time. I'm not sure. Okay, thank you, Brother Kelly. Let's have another volunteer. Yes, we have a gentleman volunteering, second defendant, two strikes, and you're out. So if this, if this answer does not satisfy the prosecution, then we're going to ask Brother Waller to answer his own question. <laughs> Please state your name for the court. Uh, my name is Alex Nicolaescu. Um, another thing that we Seventh-day Adventists believe is the three angels' message. 
So in Revelation chapter 14, we have in verse 6, it starts with, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, which is what we're discussing, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters, which is a direct quotation from the Ten Commandments, the seventh-day Sabbath commandment. And so we have here the judgment being. And so while God is judging, we have the call to fear him. So the point of his judgment is to call us into keeping his commandments so that his judgment can go through and that we can be found not guilty. So... Does that answer just a little bit more? I try to be as brief as possible. Now, that, I mean, we can get into theological that, stuff. That was, that was pretty good. I, I, okay. I, really, I really appreciated that you went to your, your, your proof text there in Revelation 14, 6, and 7, and the context being stated there with the gospel. It's just a little bit missing because the gospel means good news. Is that right? Right. So have you ever been to court before a judge? Yeah. Did you ever feel good about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew I wasn't guilty. <laughs> So you're assuming that your position in regards to judgment, that you are not guilty before God right now? Is that what you're saying, sir? Yes, sir. Well, it, yes and no. Yes and no. Am I guilty before God? Yes. Do I feel that Jesus Christ covers my guilt and takes it upon himself? Yes. So do I stand before God? Yes and no, because Christ stands for me. That's a good answer. There you go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And if you want to just finish elaborating so no one is left in suspense. I want you to go to Psalms 37. Because the majority, when we talk about judgment, either we gloss over it and we just say God loves us and he forgives us, but we don't understand the import of what this all is about. You go to Psalms 37 and you just look at verse uh, 28. Psalms 37 and verse 28. Notice what the Bible says. For the Lord loveth, what does he love? That's very interesting. God loves judgment. Have you ever in your mind said, I love judgment? For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. So there's something about judgment and the deliverance of the saints that go one with the other. This is why judgment is good news. In fact, take it over to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, you'll see something that I I find quite interesting. In Daniel 7, you know the court scene is set, the judgment is set, the books are open. I want us to begin reading at verse uh, number 20. Just a little bit of context. My time is almost finished. It says, Of the ten horns that were in his head and of the other that came up before him, whom three fell, even of that that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints. And what, what happened to the saints? They were prevailed against. And there's a word there. One of my favorite words in all the Bible. The word is what? Until. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Now, if you translate that properly, that that actually translates, and judgment was given in favor of the saints. So when he sits in judgment, he's sitting, and he's not going to forsake them. He's not going to leave them in the hand 
of the wicked. Look at verse number 25 for a second, and I'll stop talking because I can preach this an hour, right? <laughs> verse 25 says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his what? If you go back to Psalms 37, it says that the Lord will not leave the righteous in the hand of the wicked. When the judgment sits, it's saying that the king is in charge and he's coming to save and take his children home. Thank you very much. Our prosecutor from India, from the British system of law, present your case, please. Uh, just one word about this last one. The first angel's message, what is it? Having the what? And what is it talking about? Judgment. You got it right there. <laughs> now I'm the prosecutor. Hey, do you guys believe in God? Your Honor, this bunch must be classified as not only incorrigible and stubborn, but quite uneducated. They haven't yet come to the 21st century. Be, be kind. They, be kind. <laughs> they cling to the most archaic and obsolete and featherbrained concepts, like the existence of, of the supernatural. I've done a study on them. They are completely brainwashed. However, in keeping with the untarnished reputation of being absolutely fair and above board in this court, let's give these boneheads a chance. <laughs> Please convince this court that belief in the supernatural God is rational and makes sense compared to the claims of science that no such thing as the supernatural exists at all. Very good question. We have a volunteer right here in the front. Please take the witness stand. Please state your name for the court. Hello, my name's Kayla Clements. And, uh, Two minutes. Um, I listened to a very intelligent speaker who spoke the other night on this exact subject. <laughs> <laughs> he had some very good points. No flattery in the court, please. <laughs> um, well, the points that I learned the other night, which some I had already known, but I was even more enlightened the other night, and I love, I love learning scientifically and historically just how true the Bible is. Um, <laughs> uh, for one, the uh, Bible is supported by more than 20,000 texts in Greek, and compared to all other ancient writings, it is the most supported. Um, it also has historical uh, references and is uh, proven in other historical accounts from other nations where they have put down their history, the stories of the Bible are proven true. 
uh, uh, when Babylon fell, uh, the historical, the historical uh, list, <laughs> the report on it from the other nation that uh, fell Babylon talks about how they uh, destroyed the spring, how they, they dried it and then took Babylon along that paved road. And it says in the Bible how uh, God would dry the spring. <laughs> okay. Amen. Okay. Prosecutor Dr. Pandit, what um, say ye? An attempt, but you flunked. <laughs> Thank you, defendant. Let's... It proves it scientifically. Okay, we, you have 15 seconds, and then we're going to move okay, to number two. Okay, and then scientifically, if you look at our DNA and the structure of our bodies, everything works as a machine, and information, you find information in our D DNA, tons and tons of information. And scientifically, it is proven that information comes from an intelligent source. Okay. And that intelligent source is God. Okay, good. <laughs> Good second attempt. We're going to move on to one other person. Yes, I, I will agree that's a good attempt. Good point. But you need a few more. Yes, there was, there was a hand back there. Okay, there. Yes, that's you. This will be our second. Okay, you have to convince attempt. the court that belief in the supernatural is more rational than what science says, which says there's no such thing as the supernatural. Sure, I'll use a uh, steps of um, of uh, debating uh, premises, which will have. Uh, um, ex excuse, please state your name for the court. Uh, my name is Roderick London. Thank you, bailiff. Uh, so I'm going to use a step of a logical premises that will have a, a conclusion. Um, premise one: everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two: the universe began, therefore, the universe has a cause. Um, and this is um, colloquially known as the Kalem cosmological argument for the existence of God. Now, premise one, um, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Now, this would just be illogical to, to uh, say that this isn't true, because if it wasn't, then we would just see things like pink elephants just come into existence. We would see something observable in our world to show that, well, things can just happen um, without a cause. But this isn't logical. And any scientist, any scholar would just have to be academically corrupt to, to refute premise one. So let's go on to premise two, the universe began. Now we have many models out there, such as string theory, have many models where people are trying to find the existence of everything. But as of 2007, Alexander Vilenkin, um, Alan Guth, and another uh, uh, scientist has, uh, has said, and I can't quote it verbatim, I don't have my notes in front of me, have said that um, the Big Bang is quite, is indisputable as of today. So all these people that say, oh, the universe could have just existed, there could have been a plethora of universes. What we've noticed is that the Big Bang, also known as having a beginning, uh, singularity to our universe, is the most scientifically approachable model as we know. And which leads us to pr the last premise, the universe began. Now, does this prove that God exists? No. no. But this gives us a good explanation of whatever existed outside of matter 
time and space had to be something there that was that was that was that reflects what we believe God from the uh, biblical Judeo-Christian um, uh, mindset of what a transcendent being outside of matter, time, and space who is also a personal mind. Okay, thank you very much. You've got the points. Prosecution. You've, you've got the point. And if I was a rough, tough prosecutor, you wouldn't pass. But the points you made were relevant. And so because of that, you have passed. <laughs> Here's one other point. Yes, please. When the atheists say that science backs their claim, it is completely false. And here's the reason why. Because science cannot make a statement on that which it has not studied. Every scientific endeavor must make a statement only on what it studies. Here's a statement by the U.S. Academy of Sciences. Science can say nothing about the supernatural. Whether God exists or not is a question about which science is neutral. It is limited to explaining the world through natural causes. And here is Stephen Gold, late Stephen Gold, uh, an eminent atheist, evolutionary scientist. Here is words. To say it for all my colleagues for the umpteenth millionth time, Science simply cannot adjudicate the issue of God. Science can work only with naturalistic explanations. And Francis Collins in his book, The Language of God, if God is outside nature, then science can neither prove nor disprove his existence. So when science says that they, when atheism says that science is on their side and says that science is their backing, and if science says, no, we are not the backing, then the claims of atheism become baseless. It has no basis. Until such time as you bring a basis, it has no basis. Uh, my time is up. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much. Prosecutor Myers. Thank you, Your Honor. I understand you Seventh-day Adventists have a uh, false prophet. <laughs> is that correct? <clears throat> Let me uh, expound, please. Um, the, the woman that you refer to as uh, uh, Sister White, Ellen Gold White, uh, first of all, falsely prophesied that Jesus would return in 1844. You need to know your history. Secondly, um, you all are familiar with the uh, verse in Revelation that speaks about the a man of sin having the number 666. But I'd like to share with you something that you may not have known. But if you take the name Ellen Gold White, E has no value. L equals 50. L equals 50. E has no value. N has no value. G has no value. O has no value. U equals um, 5. L is 50. D equals 500. Uh, white, you have the W, which is two Vs, which brings you to the value of 10. H has no value. I equals one. T has no value. E has no value. Her name comes out to 666. 
Please answer for your false prophet. Okay, we have a volunteer to defend Ellen White. Please state your name and social security number. <laughs> um, my name is Christian Bull. And to go with the second question about Ellen White's name coming out to 666, you use that two Vs were one of the equivalents for one of the new numerical values, but it's a W, not two Vs. So that comes and crashes down. As for Ellen White being a prophet, as for Ellen White being a prophet, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons, and then it says your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So this is saying that in the last time, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and not only males, but it says that your daughters will prophesy as well. Um, can you explain her false prophecy of uh, Christ coming back in 1844? Um, in 1844, Ellen White, it, she wasn't prophesizing that Jesus would come because she wasn't called to be a prophet in 1844. She was called to be a prophet after 1844. So the message of her being making a uh, prophecy that Jesus would come was a false statement because she wasn't called into prophecy until after 1844. Thank you very much. The prosecution has been silenced on that case. Let me just uh, <laughs> Go ahead. mention as well that, um, uh, yeah, this uh, Ellen Gold White and her name equaling out to 666 is laughable, but this kind of stuff is on the internet. And people have actually left our church after seeing that, like, without stopping to research and saying, wait a minute, you know, let me look into this further. Um, the name Ellen Gold White is an English name. You cannot use Latin numerals with an English name. Does that make sense? You've got to use uh, uh, English uh, or a Latin Roman numerals with Latin uh, language. Uh, same thing with Hebrew. You can't use English for Hebrew or Latin for Hebrew. It's got to be translated into Hebrew. And uh, number two, exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it's laughable, but you will actually see that these people on the websites will say, you know, the W actually has a value of two U's or two V's, which equals 10. And uh, there's no such thing as a W in the um, Roman numerical system. So very good answer. Ellen White did not have her first vision until December of 1844. She did not prophesy or have a vision that Christ would return in 1844. So very good answer. Amen. Okay, let's move on to Prosecutor Peter Chung. You Seventh-day Adventists. 
believe that Jesus is about to come. In Matthew 24, 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. However, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, that at that time, the gospel was preached to every creature. So I don't get this, you Seventh-day Adventists. If the gospel was preached to every creature in Paul's day, why has the end not come? Is there a volunteer to defend their faith, this question? Are there any others? Just so we don't have the same people, we have one up here. Please take the witness stand. Please state your name for the court. Carlos Vega. Um, this is a little embarrassing. I, I, I kind of blanked out a little bit over there, but you said something that triggered my memory. You said that Paul said that uh, you, you quoted Colossians, right? Okay. So why Jesus hasn't come yet? Okay. All right. You seem um, nervous. Huh? You seem nervous to answer the question. Oh, I'm nervous, brother. I'm nervous. That's <laughs> why I'm not looking advantage. at the crowd, because it makes me more nervous. Um, Please state your case in two minutes. Two minutes. Your defense, rather. Okay. Okay, my answer to that right now is this. Um, Jesus said something in Matthew 24. Can we turn to Matthew 24? Whew. Matthew 24. Okay. Matthew 24, verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. And we all know that Jesus asked the disciples to go to all the world and preach the gospel, right? And he said he'll be with them until the end. Um, I, I, if I'm correct, the New King James says until the end of the age, maybe, or that generation. And... Um, um, for what I understand, what Jesus was saying here, he was not, it has two applications. I mean, we do understand it's talking about the end of the world, but here literally he's, he's answering the question of his disciples that he asked in the beginning of chapter 24. Where he, where, uh, can we read there? It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Um, verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked, um, came to him and privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the world or the age in the New King James? So Jesus now begins to answer their question. He's answering their question. And then he says, when a gospel shall be preached unto all the world, then the end will come. He was talking about the end of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem which happened in AD 70, um, AD 70. And so when Paul says in Colossians, that is, as a matter of fact, let's turn there again, Colossians chapter 1, real quick. How many minutes I got? You got 30 seconds. No, I got... Well, my understanding is that <laughs> Jerusalem fell in AD 70, but the text in Colossians was before AD 70. Um, no. I believe that... Um, 
if I remember correctly, um, because Paul was already dead at the time of the fall of Jerusalem. Okay. Well, um, well, all I know was that by uh, the sir, no, I feel by, I think all I know. <laughs> Bible, please. Okay. AD 70, by the time AD 70 came, the word of God, the gospel was preached to all the known world. And so after that was done, I mean, even Paul said it was done in Colossians 1, again there, and um, I'm sorry, I'm so nervous. <laughs> uh, I lost it. Okay, well, thank you very much for your attempt. Let's look for another volunteer. Is that okay? I mean, somewhat? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not, not good enough. I think we have a volunteer way in the back. Sorry, I'm Korean. <laughs> come, come quickly. Please state your name for the court. Judith Getchell, Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself. Ma'am, no spirit of prophecy, please, just Bible. All right. I'll start with that, but then I'm going to finish because we as Seventh-day Adventists believe that Ellen White is a prophet. Let's look at um, Philippians 2, 13 and 14. It is God. Let's see, Philippians 2, 13 and 14. No, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's now look at um, Revelation 14. It says, here, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And if you look at Revelation 22, it states that um, Revelation 22:14, "Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city." Scripture clearly states that by the grace of God, which we see in Philippians, that we are to do His commandments. It's not of our own power that we do it, but by God's grace. And I am now going to go back to that quotation. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come back to claim him as his own. It's not by our power that we do it, but by, it's by the grace of God working through us that we will and to do of his good pleasure. And then by his grace and strength, we do his commandments. And when he sees his character perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come back and claim them as his own. But in Matthew 24, 14, there is no mention about patience and no mention about commandments. Yes, but you said we can use all the scripture to um, validate our perspective. And that is what the scripture teaches, is that we are to, if he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so as we fall in love with Jesus... He works on us to keep his commandments so that we will reflect his character, and then he will come back to claim us as his own. Okay, thank you very much, Mrs. Getchell. We need to keep moving, so maybe you can just clarify your question. 
Well, actually, Revelation 14, 12 is a good text, but let's look at Matthew 24, 14 contextually. Let's go to Matthew 24, 14. Okay, let's go to 13 first. The Bible says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, what is this gospel? That he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, what endures? We go to verse 13, verse 12, we see what does not endure. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So this gospel is he whose love shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, what is another word for endurance? Patience. Here are the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. And what is the commandments of God? If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15, and have the faith of Jesus. The gospel needs to be not only preached, but patience is demonstrated. And that's why the in needs to come. And if we go to Revelation 14, 6, you know, the everlasting gospel, Revelation 14, 14, 15, Christ comes in the cloud and the sickle and reaps. So we see here that the three angels' messages must not only be preached, but demonstrated, especially here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, the patience of the saints. Okay, thank you very much. We need to be moving here. We have about 10 minutes left for the last two questions. So let's move right along. Easy question. You say that God is a God of love. Why did he create evil? Is there a volunteer? Okay, we want to have new volunteers. We have a hand there. Come on up. Yes, young lady. Please state your name for the court. Name is Lavinia Collins. The question is, if God is a God of love, why did he create evil? Correct. All right. And you're, are you referring to all the evil in the world or specifically the devil or? Evil. <laughs> that works. Sums it up. In Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about the Lucifer. And uh, it says in verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Um, in verse 16, actually, it says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence and you sinned. And in verse 15, it says, you're perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity or evil, sin, was found in you. Um, since we're in a court, imagine that uh, you're in a court with a, a mass murderer and a witness is called to the stand, his mother. And she's being asked, why is it that he gave birth to uh, a mass murderer. How could you do that? And she says, I gave birth to a beautiful, innocent baby. Uh, he made a mass murderer out of himself. And then the question will be asked, well, at what point did you notice something changing in him? Well, I noticed when he was a teenager, he was more mean, he became a bully. Well, why didn't you destroy him then? The question, the answer will be answered. Um, he wasn't a mass murderer then. I didn't create this. I created a beautiful baby. So here he says that iniquity was found in him. It's something that doesn't make sense, how something evil can come out of something pure. But whatever is true is that God didn't create it. 
Okay. He just allowed for the fact that a being is created in his image, and yet because they have free choice, they can choose to not serve him, and sadly, it looks like evil. Okay. It, it sounds like a good answer. Um, but did you just state, I just want to make sure, did you state that God did not create evil? Is that what you said? Yes, I stated that God did not create evil. He okay. created a universe in which evil can result or can come because he created freedom of choice. Okay, so I like your answer. It's really good. I just want to ask you about Isaiah 45, verse 7. If you could read that. Isaiah 45, 7. All right. If you could read that for everyone to hear. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. <laughs> calamity is different than evil. God can destroy something like he did with the flood. Mm. Evil is something entirely different than God actually bringing about destruction or a flood. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, if you look at that word in the original language, mm -hmm. it's the same as evil. It is? Okay. It, absolutely the same mm -hmm. word. So the Bible actually teaches, based on your Hebrew Bible and your Christian Bible, that God created evil. And I like, like I said, I like your answer. The context of your answer was very, very good. I'm just curious as to why would God create evil? Okay, thank you very never much. This you, verse, you can so take your you. seat. For the sake of time, I'm going to ask you just to clarify that, and then we're going to move on. I, I don't get one more question. person to come up. We, we're running out of time, so. <sighs> All right, the sister actually answered the question very, very well. Um, because God is a God of love, by creating choice. By creating choice, evil is created. No, 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 no. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. But the Bible says he did. Uh, you're not on the panel. Bailiff, can you get him? Uh, please state your name for the court. Can you uh, come to the stand? Thank you. State your name once again. Uh, I'm Reynold Perez. I'm one of the dastardly Adventists. <laughs> so go ahead and you were going to ask. Uh, God created everything that is. He created all the universe, all the laws and dynamics of the universe he created. Yes. But he's not held to those laws because he created, he's greater than those laws. God created you and I. If you believe that, you have that choice. <laughs> he created you and I, and he also created Lucifer and all the angels and all the intelligences that are. So he's taken responsibility in that creative act in allowing the freedoms. He's saying, I created these things, mm -hmm. and the possibilities are there, but you get to choose, and you get to choose, you get to choose to call me guilty or not guilty. That's your choice. That's your freedom. There's a dynamic there. So God took responsibility in creating everything that is. Mm -hmm. So thus he created the possibility of free choice and then evil coming into being. But he did not create it. Everything was good, it says in the Bible. All right. Good okay. answer. I, I agree with what you're saying. The essence of what you're saying is what I'm saying. Is that because God creates, gives you. you the ability to choose... 
automatically these two options come into existence. If it removes your ability to choose, you lose the ability to love. So by creating choice, he allows for the opportunity for love to develop. If you speak into your recorder, it will tell you, I love you, I love you. It doesn't mean it's love. Love comes by choice, and by creating choice, these options are put in place. Okay, thank you very much. We have time for just one more question from Dr. Pandit. Our community is marred by strife between the Buddhists and the snobbish militant band, gang of Christians. For the sake of peace and harmony, we need to pass a law allowing only one belief. I propose Buddhism because it is the most peaceful belief system in the world. But a just court like ourselves eschews ex-party judgment. And so they have been called, you have been called, to answer for yourself. Please provide this court with compelling evidence that following Jesus is to be preferred to following Gautama Buddha. If you can provide it, we will ask all the Buddhists to become Christians. If not, you will agree to become sincere, earnest, active Buddhists. Is there a volunteer? We have time for just one volunteer. Okay, there's a, there's a hand right there. Go ahead and come on up. Please state your name for the court. <clears throat> My name is Nicole Stallings. Okay, can you just repeat the question like in a smaller? Yeah. Can you provide this court with compelling evidence that it is preferable to follow Jesus than Gautama Buddha? Than Buddha? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't know that. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'd like to take you to Daniel. And I will, and I will quote from Dhammapada of the Buddhists. Okay. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Okay. Um, and like Daniel, between Daniel 1 and, and 3 and 4, well, we learned about the story about Nebuchadnezzar. And um, Daniel, as we know, was captive from Babylon, or it was from Judah and the Babylon. And... Um, did he speak about Buddha? No. no. But Nebuchadnezzar ultimately wanted him to start becoming basically, okay, I don't know my point. Um, he wants him to worship the golden image of Babylon. Mm -hmm. And Buddha. this happens, like, I mean, I could go all into Daniel, but um, Daniel and, you know, Azariah and all his three friends, okay, um, they don't worship the image. Well, okay. Oh, this is hard. You're having a hard time. I yeah. know. Okay, can you state your point? Point. point. Um, concisely. You mentioned Daniel, concise. you have not mentioned Buddha. Um, okay. Okay, so it was Daniel's choice not to. Okay, can I just quote something? Okay. Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar praises God. This is in Daniel 4. Um, 
hold on. That's not it. Right. Um. I don't know where to go. Okay, we are running out I of know, time. I'm trying to find where my point is. Okay, so. Which one? It is, it is in chapter three. <laughs> no, 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 that's not allowed. I know that's okay. Not okay, I'm gonna ask you to take your seat. Okay, we are gonna we are gonna let one more person go. So, I saw a couple hands in the back, but I can't really see whose faces they are. So, okay, gentleman in the blue shirt, yes. While you are coming up, the question again: Please provide this court with compelling evidence that it is preferable to follow Gautama Buddha than Jesus. <laughs> Please state your name for the court. My name is Jonathan Dewan. Please be concise. Um, okay, simply, our God, Jesus, teaches us that we are to be loving. He's a loving God to us. He wants to save us. So did He's Gautama Buddha. Good. But... Do you not have to appease your Buddha? Do you not have to do sacrifices? Oh, no, and no, so no, 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 no. That's no. a false, false statement. Buddha was very clear. He can give you a lot of mercy. Okay. Did he die for you? <laughs> my Jesus died for me to save my sins. Did your Buddha die for you? He, he takes you to paradise. You don't have to die. He doesn't have to die. Yes, but my God died for me. Your so God didn't the, do that. What's the superiority if he takes you to paradise? Why do you have to die to go to paradise? Go straight to paradise. <laughs> That's inferior. That's not superior. But my God still shows more love than your God does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. I think uh, we're going to have to move on. So, I'll take go ahead. I take the stand. <laughs> Your Honor, have the Buddhists been asked this question? And if they have been asked this question, may I have the points that the Buddhists have? If you don't have that, then this court has not been fair and just. You cannot ask only one side. Ask both. Number two, Buddha confessed that he had evil that needed to be washed away. Jesus did not need to confess anything because he had no sin. Number two, for six years, Buddha searched desperately for light. He beat himself, starved himself, pulled out the hair of his beard and the hair of his head, which I can't do. But <laughs> and at the end of those six years, he said, finally he was enlightened. So he got light. Jesus said, he was the light. Would you prefer a product or the source of the product? Would you prefer a candle that can be blown out in a storm? Or would you prefer the source that can keep lighting the candle no matter what the storm? 
Would you like to have a canister going through, canister of water going through a desert or a 50,000 gallon truck just beside you filling your canister every day? The source is superior to the product and therefore we will as age community ask the Buddhists to become Christians. Thank you. Thank you to the prosecutors, all of our volunteers, our bailiff, and uh, all of the passive participants. We are going to close this session now with prayer. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given us a word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. But Lord, we need to hide your word in our heart. And so as we have gone through this exercise, may we be inspired, not discouraged. May we be encouraged not depressed, that although we may not have all the answers, we know that all things are possible through the power of your Spirit. So help us to study well, to drink deeply of the fountain that Jesus provides. And bless us the remainder of this Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Court is adjourned. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.